Millet is fantastic to be here with you at the Landmark Hotel. It's no big four Tuggera Lakes though, is it? <laughs> yeah, far cry, isn't it? <laughs> long, long way away. Yeah. Do you ever miss home? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, when you start to speak about all the lovely, the lovely environment back home and, and everyone that's there that you, you sort of, of course, you can't help but miss it. You keep telling people what a lovely place it is and, and the first question you get back from people living over here particularly is why are you still here? So, <laughs> um, yeah, from that point of view, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a gentle reminder. Yeah. And what do you say when you answer that question? Well, I'm here with family for work for, you know, that, that's, that's just the way that it's, it's sort of panned out. And that's, that, that's what's happening at this point in time. That's not to ever rule it out, but for, for the time being, it's, it's the way it is. Yeah. Why does everyone think from the UK that every Australian that's here is on a Katiki tour? <laughs> I'm not sure that's the same with me, but well, I guess, you know, I think it's, because it is so far away, everyone wants to make the most of every time you come over here. And a lot of that means enjoying yourself. Um, a lot of it means when you're, you know, out of uni or, you know, you're single and, and you, you're going out looking for a good time. So from that side of things, you know, every, everyone that does come over here, I think people appreciate that it's been a big journey. Um, it's been a long journey and, you know, people sometimes just want to let their hair down and what more, you know, there is such a lovely atmosphere going on in this country as well. So from that side of things, I can see why. And you're close to so many other places as well. Absolutely. And one man that I think of who went on an absolutely incredible journey was Dylan Tombides. What are your memories of Dylan? And did you actually meet him? No, I think, uh, I think the first memory that comes to mind was he came to a Socceroo camp with Jim at the time. Um, I believe the camp was, I believe the camp was in Scotland in Edinburgh, and uh, I can't remember. Like I said I've had this conversation a couple of times, I think, with the family, and I must have just been going about my business, and and but again, it was very brief, and you know, it was more admiring from afar and and seeing sort of what 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 was going on and how it was going on, and and um, you know, it's now then since since probably is passing and being involved in the char charity, having those conversations with not only his family and friends, but a lot of other people as well who who, who are able to sort of give you a, a bit more of an insight into actually probably how special he was. Um, and that's, you know, at, at hearing it sort of after afterwards is, is, is still something that's, you know, pretty special. Mm -hmm. Did you notice something special about Dylan when he was at that training camp? It was at Fulham. Uh, no. Oh, I might be, I might be, I might be, I might have got the wrong one then. So again, that, that just goes to show my memory. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I think it's, I think it's more around the, the fact that being there at that time when you're that young, it's obviously someone thought of in high regard um, to be able to get that experience. And, uh, you know, it speaks volumes of, of what he did and, and what he was about. So right. And it's kind of fate in a way that drew you towards the charity, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, obviously, at the time, it was, you know, we were well aware of what had happened and sort of the, uh, how and, and during that time, it was, we, it was a, obviously a coincidental thing that I played against uh, West Ham that weekend and 
you know, it was made it sort of an obligation of mine to go and speak to the family afterwards, after the game. And, um, you know, something that I'm very, very grateful for getting that opportunity. And then from that point on, it's just been, um, you know, as whatever I can help to do as, as you do. And I've been in touch and we've, we've got to this point now and, and so many other things along the way as well. How was it going into that game before West Ham played Palace? Because the outpouring of emotion from everyone connected with Dylan, from the Australian football community was enormous. I can't imagine going into the game and playing thinking, wow, I've got Dylan riding, riding with me here in a way. Yeah, I'd, you know, obviously we knew, the, we knew the magnitude of what had just happened and, uh, you know, none, none more so probably the, the moment when Taylor and Jim came out on the field and everyone's on the, around the centre circle and it probably hits you more than ever then. Um, again, yeah, emotional, absolutely. Um, you know, you just, you're trying to stay focused as best as you can. I know it's, you know, you're trying to, <laughs> I wouldn't say suppress that, but it's, it's, it's almost right. You need to understand that this is, this has happened and what you're feeling now is, is right. And you've also got to try and keep your concentration on the game. And I think, I think the way that the game was played that day, I think, um, everything around it, I think everything around the whole day, the whole atmosphere was was spot on, and that's what um, you know. That's probably the most fitting thing about it. Um, and then you know, after the game, you have your moment, and you go and speak to the family, and, and you, like I said, you offer every every single bit of condolence that you have, meeting these people for the first time, and you know, knowing that it's coming from a place of sincerity and and the game's already behind you you know it's moving on to actually what's what's real in the moment um and that's that's sort of probably the best way i can sum it up even sam allardyce said before that game that he realized that life and family are bigger than football was that the moment that struck you that oh this this game is not just everything there's more important things absolutely um you know, I probably realised that before that as well, but in terms of, and I think from that side of things, it's been away from Australia. That obviously makes, brings that awareness a little bit closer. But when you have something like this, that isn't Australian, that sort of, it hits you even hard, like it hits you, it hits you straight in the face. And uh, like I said, that's, that's, that was, that was sort of the, the experience of, of that moment. Um, and then it takes you to, you know, being there afterwards and supporting during what is what is and what has been a, you know, very some very difficult moments. You know, not none other than the service for Dylan held by West Ham and, and going to that and being a part of that and feeling it all as well. So, and the funeral would have been so tough. And what has just really touched my heart is is how strong Jim and Tracy have been. Is that what shook you as well and empowered you was seeing how well they've tried to galvanise their lives through the charity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's been, you know, there's been some moments when, you know, it's, it's, it's something, it's an unimaginable thing. It's one of those things that as a parent uh, now, you don't want to think about um, the fact that they got to go through it and 
um, you know, not only them, Taylor as well, haven't lost an older brother, older sibling. It's, you know, it's heartbreaking. And uh, I think, you know, they have to, they had to sort of galvanise each other and, and they obviously they had a support network, friends and family around them. And um, I think with myself and my own family, it's, it's, it's you know, as, as much support as, as we can possibly give. And, you know, we've had, We've definitely had those those moments where we've sort of galvanised together and, and spent some some good times together, but you know it hasn't always been uh, it hasn't always been smiles and stuff mm-hmm. all the time as you as you can imagine and 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 that but that's okay, um, that's part of helping with that process. Yeah, and in a way, I'm sure you've been a big brother to Taylor. How's your relationship been in the last eight years? Yeah, listen, Taylor's obviously someone who's very passionate about football as well. So I guess having that understanding and, and common ground, but not only that, it's been nice to see Taylor grow in the subsequent years and see him mature. And, you know, it's, it's been something that we, we can, we've, we've sort of see happening in front of us, which has been really, really um, pleasing. He's obviously now got his coaching cap on and, and, I know he's still doing some, still playing. Um, he's think, almost got that A license. So he's he's obviously going down that route. And like I said, of of you know any any sort of help or advice along the way, we have those conversations when we do meet up around how's it all going and stuff like that. But again, it's more just around listen. You know, it's it's we've got a. I'm here if you need, and and if we need to, like I said, this was done through Taylor as well. So as soon as he said, listen, I've got someone coming from Australia to get some content, it's like, well, yep, okay, where do you need me, what time? And coincidentally, it obviously worked hand in hand with now. So again, it's guidance when it's needed. Um, He knows that, um, you know, we're aware of it. We we try and see each other obviously as, as often as possible, but again, circumstances and schedules and stuff like that. But Again, it, it's uh, we, every effort he's made, that's for sure. It's a beautiful bromance, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How do you think you grew as a person, though, during your football career? Because you talk about Taylor, how he's matured and, he, and he's grown so much in the last couple of years. But when you think back and you go, oh, was there a couple of moments and you go, oh, that really changed me as a footballer and as a person? Um. I think obviously your, you know, what you've experienced in football is going to be different across the board. Taylor's is different to mine. Um, every player will have their own their own journey. Dylan's was different to Taylor's. Um, so again, everyone's got their own journey. Um, I think it's understanding that, and and you know that's okay. At the end of the day, it's those experiences along the way is what help you um, to grow. At the top of my head, I moved away when I was 18 you know, on my own, very, very difficult. But I knew when I got back to Australia from there and got another opportunity, I I looked at it differently. I made sure that I tried to do everything I can to make that journey last as long as it possibly could. Because at the time, I always felt that playing abroad would be, give me a better opportunity to succeed in potentially playing for Australia for your national team, to go to World Cups, et cetera, et cetera. it's those moments where you realise, right, okay, that's what helps you. But again, there's a whole lot of other things off the field, getting that balance right. And um, I've had all of that to go through. And, and again, 
hopefully been able to pass some of that wisdom on to the likes of Taylor and other players that I've played with, etc. Because I'm imagining seeing your kids grow up, would you think, oh, I would do something different when I was growing up to have an impact on them? Um, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a good question because obviously the way we've grown up is going to be different. Um, and that's something you have to understand and, and appreciate. And, you know, my kid's experience is going to be slightly different to mine. Um, but they again, weren't having chavapi rolls at Adenza Park. Well, if they could, I'm sure they would because they do love they do love that sort of food. But um, <laughs> that's a, that's always a treat when we go back home. But um, I just think you know it's, it it looks different. It's probably having an awareness of that more than anything, and then understanding maybe what you have to do. And again, you're not going to always get it right, but it's making sure that you have the awareness and then you, like I said, if you can pass on some of that knowledge or if they're going to pass some knowledge on to you, again, your kids teach you things all the time. So it's being that, having that open-mindedness to, to understand that as well. What's the biggest lesson that you try and pass on? I just think it's about, uh, you know, it's you've got to enjoy what you're doing. Um, you have to enjoy what you're doing and you've got to be prepared to, you don't say sacrifice because the kids are too young for that, but it's about, you know, if that's what you want to decide to do, just so give it every effort, um, give it every opportunity that you can and let's see. Got any, you know, if you've got things to ask or things to question, then, then go and do it, but, you know, do it in the right way. It's all about learning, I think. And one of the interesting points that I've heard you speak about in a quote and you said how you never put restrictions on yourself, you always set targets and goals. But I never knew what goals and objectives you were you're searching for and trying to achieve. Um, so again, it's it can be as you know, it doesn't have to be. It can be certain things. I mean, if you're talking from fo- football sides of things, it's getting a contract, getting a number of games under your belt in the season. Um, you know, then you can go even further in that and say, well, I don't want to lose my place or I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure I train every day. It's those little things, those little sort of little targets. I think a lot of that help drives you forward, um, giving yourself that little plan, that little objective of what you want to do is seeking promotion. It's a bigger picture one. It's not going to be able to be done on your own, but how do you help galvanize a group when you're involved in a group that's maybe chasing for promotion or going to qualify for a World Cup, not only on the field, so what else do you have to be doing off the field in order to make that happen? So it's no different now, um, you know, working through, working on the other side of it and, and obviously doing, um, going down the coaching journey, it's the same sort of thing, setting yourself little targets and objectives around how you potentially want it to look um, and how you potentially want to try and shape that. Do you think your experience fighting relegation, promotion, was the perfect experience to go back to Australia where we probably weren't going to win the World Cup, but we were going in to challenge and fight to get through to the next group? Was there things that you took out when you were playing at Palace or Aston Villa that you could take back and go, oh, I know how to stamp my authority in the dressing room, I know what to say? Or were you more spontaneous about how you reacted to each group? Um, 
That's a great again another good question. I think I think it's I think from my own learning again it wasn't probably just with those experiences. It was the whole Socceroos journey, you know, Central Coast journey, Sydney United journey. It was the whole journey um, which taught you those things. And I was, and it was just more around having having an awareness of potentially the situation. But and that's okay. And and also being prepared to say what you need to say in order to get the job done. Um, and that's done in, again, that could be conversations like this, that could be on the training pitch. It doesn't have to be barking and screaming, not at all. Um, but not only that, you've got other players there to support you. So it's how you get the best out of those players as well that want to support you and want to deliver some of those messages. Because again, if it's coming from one person all the time, it's not necessarily going to be the most effective. So. The time with that in terms of your promotion, your relegations, that whole experience is, allows you to be able to handle those situations. You wouldn't say spontaneous, but more instinctively mm -hmm. because you're well aware of what's going on and what's at stake. So from that side of things, um, I'd yeah, probably say that. What were the effective strategies that you took out when you were, when you were younger in the Socceroos camp that you saw other people leaders in the dressing room doing that you thought, oh, wow, I'm going to use that later because that might make that 1% or that marginal gain. I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's taking or using or I'm going to, it's just having an awareness of it. So it's not so much, oh, I need to do it like this or I, I want to do it like this. It's because I would have experienced other things throughout that, you know, it's not just around what's happened in football changing rooms or football environment, it's how you've been brought up, what are those experiences like, what have you learnt from that side of things. So it's probably just a combination of everything. Um, and again, my way of doing it would be totally different to just say if your, your way of doing it or the way you approach something. But I was fortunate enough that a lot of the time it was effective and uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to play in teams that were successful and able to get themselves out of trouble and, and, and able to get themselves clear of relegation zones because of we had some really, really good people in there. I think that's at the forefront and that's not down to me, that's down to them. Um, but being part of that and supporting that, I think more importantly, rather than saying this is the way it's got to be done, has been, yeah, one of the most, one of the biggest uh, outcomes and one of the most effective, you know, processes that that's that's come out of any success that I've had. And also, it relies on you performing as well to lead the dressing room. When you see a player, the stature of Harry Maguire, battling through playing and captaincy, if you had five minutes with him, what would you try and say to him? Because he's got a hell of a lot of media scrutiny on his captaincy and playing at the moment? Yeah, listen, obviously, he's, you know, we, we know that the scrutiny's there. I'm sure he's, you know, he's got his own support networks, support mechanisms, um, and that's, people are going to experience it differently. Obviously, that scrutiny and that level of scrutiny is, uh, is intense and probably feels like you can't get away from it at the moment. Um, but, again, it's, it's not what my five minutes would do. It's how Harry's processing it, and that's, that's up to him. Um, that's going to be how how much he's prepared to, you know, look into 
you know, he's he's, a, he's still a, he's still a footballer. He's still got to do a job for for them. He's still got to he's, he's, he hasn't got to that point without being a successful footballer. He's got to you have to you have to go through sometimes that difficult period. But when you come out of that difficult period, a lot of the time you tend to go on an upward curve, and uh, that those moments are the ones you're looking forward to. It's just making sure that that consistency of what you're doing is is consistent to how you are as a person. That way. Um, you know, if you've gone through that cycle all the time and you're doing the certain same things, you can keep on that consistent way of doing things. It tends to get you out of that sooner rather than later. Regarding advice on how to, that's not no. what, that's not what I'm prepared to do. That's I don't think that's fair on anybody. But no. he's, um, you know, he's. I'm sure he's experiencing things that he hasn't experienced before but again that would be for his learning journey afterwards and 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 like i said he, he's, he's that he's got to try and navigate that <laughs> probably getting those people around him that are there going to be you know there's going to be people that are supporting him and there'll be people that are that he's leaning on that's that's when you that's when you get to see i'm sure harry Maguire has an amazing support network but still not as big as your support network am i right that you would take 80 members of your family to a world cup have you just got ancestry.com out of no, every no not 80 members at a world cup i had 80 members at the asian cup final in sydney but mm-hmm. again don't forget i'm from sydney so 80 members. Did you bring the dogs? The extended family's um, pretty big. Anyone that's that was there that night will probably could attest to that. But um, listen, we had some good, we had some really good moments. That was that was one of them. And I mean, the World Cups, yeah, not 80, not, <laughs> not 80 by any stretch, closer to I don't know 20, 30 potentially, but not not 80. When you were lifting that that Asian Cup. Who did you look out in across at when? Well, just when... just the family again. I knew where they were sort of sitting, in what direction, and it was a sort of a slight angle towards them and and everyone else that was in that stadium, essentially, because you know they know that they've, they've, they've people have followed Australian football for a very very long time. Um, to have that opportunity to do that in front of them, um, to be able to to be able to go through the whole month. I think that the tournament as a whole was a real great spectacle and it was really pleasing to see um, and to be the ones at the end to lift it on, on home soil was, yeah, was, a, was, was exceptional. I was going to finish that point by saying who, who were you grateful that was there that night? Oh, I've got everyone I think that was there, that was there for my family. I'm not going to, there's no, everybody was there um, that I, that I wanted to be there, and that's the and that was the that's main the thing. thing. So, it's like picking one of your favourite kids. That's that question. Yeah, isn't I, it? yeah. Uh, we only, yeah, we only. That was, yeah. There's no, no. <laughs> everyone, everyone that was there was there, and they wanted to be there, and that was the main thing. And to be able to sort of share that experience with everyone in the stadium at that time, along with my teammates and all the staff, was um, yeah, was was really really special. Do you think sometimes I wish I could have that moment in a bottle? Yeah, but again, you you got those memories. So you've got those memories all the time. Those memories stay with you. Um, you pass those memories on to people and you tell them, you look back on photos and et cetera, with the kids particularly. And when they see that, they're like, oh, what happened? Well, then you tell the story again. So, yeah. And just the photo of you and Ange just lifting the trophy, it, it was almost a little bit of fate as well that you played in his under-20 
2020 side in 2003. What growth did you see in Ange and do you still have the same principles? Yeah, I think the principle stuff is very much the same. I think you get that with Ange straight away, um, which again, when you're looking at it, having been part of it as a player, but looking at it from the other side, it's fantastic to see. Um, like I said it was it was what probably we needed at that time, and sort of the the confidence and the belief he had in every single Australian player um, was what captivated everybody. And it got um, to be able to do that with someone at him at the helm was 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 fantastic. And again, but again, it was perfectly planned to, for that to happen, um, giving new new crop of players some opportunities and allowing them to sort of flourish within the environment. You know, it's a credit to everybody that was involved at that time, mm -hmm. 100%. How did you notice him change though in those 12 years? Because as you've spoken throughout this podcast, everyone has their own journey and, and different experiences that make them who they are. But what did you pick out now you're a, an older soul with Ange? I think it's, I don't know if it was particularly one thing. I think, I think as anyone on their on their own journey, they go and learn and experience and how to deal with things. Ange obviously had a lot of success in the A-League as well, um, which probably taught him things around how he wanted things to happen or what he thought the environment needed and working back again with uh, more Australian players and at that first team level. And, you know, I think the most important thing was that he didn't change too much in terms of what he was about and his values and and that's probably what I think everybody that had him at that time could appreciate. And the ones who, the ones who hadn't had anything to do with Ange or hadn't really had a, an encounter with Ange along the way, they lapped it up. They loved it. Um, so from that point on, it was like I said, we were we were all ears, and like I said, just wanting to do the absolute best for him, the country, your family, your friends, each other as you do when you play for the national team. When Ange was mostly under the pump during that 2017 period, are the players in the bubble, do you hear the background noise that's, that's impacting the squad or as maybe it's not impacting? Are you just, um, just cocooned from it all and just focusing on Ange's way or I think how we, does it work? I think we, I think we as a group of players you know we respected the way that things were getting done and we had seen some success from it so what was the alternative you know we have to we have to keep going um, I think I think everybody made that clear and and that was we, not that we had an alternative but we didn't want an alternative at the moment everyone had full faith in what was going on and we had that internally um, regardless of what was being noise was being created on the outside we we sort of stuck together as you do and and we were ready to you say fight until the end ready to play until the end and and see where it gets us and like i said ultimately we got what we came for at that time which was qualify for the world cup albeit it was a longer way but one thing and used to say quite often was well let's make it a different script then let's let's try and let's let's make our own script and uh that's something that sort of resonated probably in the Asian Cup and it was no different going through that qualifying tournament. So having been through that Asian Cup, 
coming out of that then and into this qualification cycle, we knew that, right, this is how it's going to be. It might not always be smooth, but at the end of the day, we had full belief in each other to get the job done. You would run for a brick wall for it? I'd run for a brick wall, I'd run for a titanium wall, but I think everybody would have, I guess it wasn't just around, I'm not just saying it's down to end. anyone would have done it playing for Australia. Um, that was the expectation. Um, that was the demand put on you, not only by the staff, but by the players as well. Um, and that's something that you have to, that's why, you loved, that's why you loved every moment of it. And I think with Ange, just his awareness of the squad, you were, you were picking it out. And it feels hard in Australian football for people to, to see the abilities and the inherent qualities that individuals have. I, I think of your story and you were playing it in Denzel Park and, and someone at the club let Laurie McKinnon know and someone seen something in you, similar to, at the moment, to Christian Volpato at Roma. He got released from two clubs, Wanderers and Sydney FC, but somehow he's in the starting 11 at Roma. Is that down to the quality of understanding in Australia or how would you try and bring it all together? I don't know if it's about quality of understanding because there's some people that look at, into our game and that have been successful at doing that. Um, every individual is going to look at the game differently and that's, that's okay. Um, I think what the, the biggest thing is that is it's obviously whatever that decision was or whatever, whatever they've been up against, they're going to they're gonna have to, um, it spurs you on. So uses that for your little resilience piece or do you know what I mean? Whatever, I'm sure, I'm sure that was the case um, with Christian. Or maybe it wasn't and he's just like, you know what, well, I want this to happen so much that no matter what, I'm just going to keep pushing forward. He hasn't probably thought about it yet, which you can do as well. Um, again, being so young, that's probably how it's happened. But in terms of, in terms of people see what they want to see sometimes and if that's not what you're not going to be for everybody and you're not going to be for every environment, but that's okay. There might be another environment out there for you and but you've got to be prepared to sacrifice to get to that point. Um, and that's probably what's been happening. It's been happening a lot of, it's been happening a lot for Australian football in terms of Australian footballers playing overseas and stuff. You have to sacrifice in order to get over, um, leave our lovely country, leave everyone that's there, leave the, leave the great weather. Um, but if you've got your mindset on something, then you have to try and do it. Make the best of it. Absolutely. And considering you weren't a flair player by by the stretch Jeez, of imagination. Mate, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that was not a dig whatsoever. I'm getting to it though. But you had other qualities that stuck out. What was it that you think made you capture the imagination of scouts? Um I'd probably just say overall my consistency in trying to do everything right I possibly could. Again, not always getting it right or in different circumstances, but it's just that consistency in, in performing, competing, consistency in competing. Um, like I said, putting yourself out there, putting yourself, you know, putting your body on the line every single time you go out on the pitch. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, that's part of it. Um, and then along the way, Helping your other teammates out, um, you know, communication is a massive thing in, in the game and in the industry and 
being able to help teammates out on the pitch, I found, you know, really, really helpful for, for my own game. So if I was able to help people out from that side of things, then I knew I would, you know, I could sort of still sort out my own game as well. So, so right. And maybe I've just had a howler then. I'm just trying to recover from it. No, you're right, mate. It's all right. <laughs> but it's no. gone, mate. I'm not playing anymore. You're fine. If I was still playing, oh, potentially, you're all right. You would have me through the brick wall, right, I think. The, the, the camera might be off. No, you're okay, mate. It's all good. Oh, no. But as we are a testicular cancer foundation, what would you say is or was your ballsiest moment? I don't know. I'm a bit on the spot here. Um... I remember playing for it. I remember playing my when I went to Turkey. I played my parent club. I was on loan for a season, and I scored two goals against them. And it was the man, obviously the manager at the time, who who was at that club. Um, he had got, he sort of wasn't having me in his plan, so I had to go and get this loan move, seek this loan move in order to gain um, exposure for the World Cup and and get a bit of a consistent run of games. And I remember playing in that game, and I I was like. Yeah, I scored two goals. We ended up winning. We won. We done the double on them, and I just thought, what a strange sort of feeling. Um, couldn't really celebrate. Didn't want to celebrate, and it was just like, yeah, had mates in the other team because I'd only been there for six months, but had mates in the other team and other players in the other team, and yeah, I just remember thinking, yeah, I wouldn't say it's ballsy, but more just so like strange, strange. There's your attacking player right there. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Are you allowed back you're in recovering, Turkey? You're I'm recovering, recovering you're slowly. Recovering. Yeah, yeah. No, I went, listen, it was fine. I went back to that club the following season anyway and wasn't allowed to leave on loan by coincidence. So, um, yeah, it was it was what it was. It was, again, learning, as they say, and, yeah. What was the leap from Turkey to the championship like? Um, I think it was, you know, I think, Probably having missed sort of the preseason that first year was 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 a big learning curve for me. Um, needing knowing to like needing to get an understanding of actually how prepared you need to get yourself um, in order to be able to go Saturday, Tuesday all the time. Um, so I, I learned I, I was managed well in terms of not playing every single game and being. But then I picked up an injury towards the back end of the season and. Uh, just remembered saying to myself that whatever happens, I've got to try and get myself uh, ready and then hit the ground running from the start. And um, sort of that's what happened. Obviously, you go away with the national team in in the off-season, uh, you play your qualifiers and then have your little break and then you're in with the team. And so it was just making that, getting that preparation. And I think that's that year we ended up getting promoted, but it was the best learning for me having gone through that previous season. Yeah. How is that, though, balancing Socceroos' commitments when you're travelling halfway around the world and also your competing interests with your parent club? How do you manage all of these different elements? Um, you just get on with it. That's all, yeah. you, that's all I can say. Yeah. You, you keep yourself in the best possible condition that you can. Um, you prepare, you recover. You try and do all the right things in order to make you available for both. Um, I go. I know the biggest factor is the travel when you when you're going abroad and, and playing for your national team. But you never really got questioned with me, so everyone was aware of what my intentions were. And 
didn't really have any resistance, if I'm honest. Yeah. So um, whether that was down to me or 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 not, but yeah, I was I just was allowed to sort of get on with it and trusted that I'd get myself back in in sort of ready to go again. Mm-hmm. You always put a shift in. That's probably. Well, yeah, I tried to as best as I could, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm just imagining because I remember when you first went to Palace and Dougie Freeman signed you and you didn't even do a pre-season. How was it trying to manage a 44-game season plus comp- cup competitions and you haven't done even a pre-season? Well, yeah, that, that was the learning, I think, for me. It was, you know, managed through training sessions and games. Um, we had a good cup run as well that year. We made the semis of the what now is the Carabao Cup. Um, and it was just like, had to sort of manage and, and find that, figure that out. Um, and that's probably down to the coaching, the staff. And that's and that's something that, you know, very, very appreciate the, the lads that were there, learning off them, seeing what they were doing, how they were doing it. And again, being prepared to learn and, and understand of actually, this is the reasoning why we're doing this and this is why. And so you have to have that open-mindedness in order to hopefully gain what you, or get what you want to get out of it. Do you think that's what you would say is what got you to where you are now because you've been so open to learn? Yeah, you have to be. I think you, you can't be sat here and thinking that you know everything. Um, I think it's that willingness to improve more and not setting a limit on what that looks like. Um, it was always about reaching the highest possible level you could and staying there for as long as you could. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to do that for many years and thankful that I was given the opportunity. Um, so, yeah, having that as a way of thinking, I suppose, helped me with that. What is it like playing in an FA Cup final? It gives you a bit of chills now thinking about it. All um, these big cup finals that you've played in. Yeah, listen, it's... Wembley, it was FA a, Cup final. I'm sure you grew up with the yeah, FA Cup. It was one of the only games I think you used to get live when we were... It was one of the big ones that we always, everyone used to watch and stay up for. Um, how do you describe it? I think the overriding feeling is obviously proud and pride, but there's a there's a big there's a big part of me that wishes we we went we went all the way and we're probably looking back on it we had our opportunities to do that and it was probably teed up for that but we didn't get the job uh, done so wasn't meant to be um, unfortunately for you but considering all these experiences that you've had at at your during your club career how has that helped most now you're working as a as a loan player manager yeah listen i'm doing the loan the loan stuff the loan player development stuff and uh i'm working with one of the some of the age groups as well at the academy 16s and above 15 16s and above um doing some bits on the grass with them and, and, and helping those players along their journey. Um, it's, been, it's been good. I think it's been good going out and seeing the environments and being around those environments, um, seeing what the players are actually going through and providing any support that you can really, um, having getting a little bit of an insight in what they're actually feeling, experiencing, and every single one's going to be different and every single one has been different. So it's trying to provide some of that insight into how they might be dealing with things and how they might be, um, you know, coping, not coping, whatever it is, whatever strategies you might need to use and implement through your own experiences in order to make that as successful as it can be. And that doesn't necessarily just mean on the pitch. 
a lot of these boys are moving away from home for the first time and into a first team environment for the first time. So it's given him that little bit of a bridge to help to help with that. What is the whirly emotion of going on loan? Is it different for every player? Is there excitement or is there a bit of dread? Or I think there's a bit of everything. Um, it, it's probably a bit of uncertainty, but I think the sooner you sort of get to grips with what's actually happening and if you can help with that process of what that's going to look like, then, you know, being as informed as you can sometimes helps, helps with that. Sometimes it doesn't and that's okay as well, but um, you've got to... Like I said, you're there. To, your responsibility then is to play for that loan club and, and and be immersed in that. And that's that's one of the things that we try and try and say to the lads is you've got to get you've got to be doing everything you possibly can to get the most out of it. Enjoy the environment. You know, lap it up. Again, we are watching you from afar, and but we we want you to give it an absolute. You're all into that environment for those six months, one season, whatever it's got to be. That would probably be the best part finishing your football career, just being immersed in the experience of, of trying to help young players fulfil their goals and, and aspirations. Yeah, it's not only, I mean, you know, you're, you're giving them a little insight, I suppose. They obviously have to go through those experiences themselves. I think that's one of the biggest things, but if you can sort of help maybe with some of that, that'd, that'd be great. It's not only young ones, you've got some experienced boys as well um, that need a bit of advice or an understanding of something, then... You know that's 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 part of what you got to do, and that's that's you know that's okay. You're there to you're there to help. You want you want the players to succeed. Um, you can see what success brings, and you know you get people talking about you. You get a you know a team a, a people talking about individuals that are that are involved with your football club, and that's it makes you happy, makes you proud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even thinking now, you must be so proud of of what you've done. But how do you you think when that how did you have that thought when you, you finished and you put the curtain call? Was it harder saying goodbye in the media or was it harder writing the Instagram post? No, I don't think I was, it was the Instagram post was the Instagram It was post. emotional. The Instagram post is... It was beautiful. It was the way that I decided to do it and, you know, I had my family sat with me and we spoke about it and that's that was the day of the conversations. I was, Spoke to my parents and thanked them for everything they did for me along that journey, and that was oh, that's what I'm always grateful for. People that were people that were there for that whole journey, and you know, along the way, and and as it was written, and and that's the conclusion you came to. Um, yeah, that's sort of sums it up, really. It's been a special journey, and what would you love people to have a takeout message? for people to be open about their men's health issues and testicular cancer, what would be your advice? I think it's just having the awareness, having the understanding. Um, it's out there, you know, having the awareness. I think the I think the initiative that Tracy and everyone get people to do on the first of the month, you know, checking and being aware of that, being comfortable doing that is is is, is part of how it needs to be seen and portrayed and, you know, get yourself a bit of advice on it if you need it, get yourself educated because these things have been out there for a very, very long time. It's just I think with the fact that we have got a social media presence now and there are stories out there and we are hearing about it and I think that is important, just as important. 
Um, and that's that's key to allowing to allowing us at the charity to 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 spread that message. And so, so important. And even with you now, are you on high alert about your health? You have to because be because of being a charity. I think a I, I think you have to be no matter what. I think it's a. I think everybody should be looking out for their health all the time. Um, you know, it's it's. <laughs> We only get one life and that's, you know, we know how precious it is. We have to take ourselves through sometimes some, an experience like we have, have had with Dylan in order to, some people have had to go through that to experience that. Um, and that's not the way it is. It should be a thing of, right, we've got to look after ourselves. We've got to look after each other first and foremost. And that's, that's a, you know, that's something that I think if we can spread that message as much as we can, then I think we're on a good we're on a good thing. Have you found people are, are pretty open to speak with you about anything because you were a leader or what, is that tie, tied in or is that just the makeup of who you are? Um, yeah, listen, I think throughout any journey or any, I think in, in life in general, it's, it's how, you, how you present yourself, how you, you know, what are your values, what do you see and it's, it's, it's how you see things and if people have a if people have a willingness to go and do that with you and, and say that to you, then you have to. I wouldn't say it's not an open mind, but you've got to be understanding of people. You've got to have, you've got to you've got to have that empathy. Um, I know that's not always the case with people, but I know myself. It's you know it's it's there, and uh, I, I understand. I've I've been on a journey with football and and life that's taken me all all across everywhere and experienced different things, but. Again, if someone's got something important to tell me, then I need to listen and I need to hear and, and, and provide a bit of um, advice, awareness, um, understanding potentially if that's, if that's out there and if that's what's needed for that time in that moment. Mm -hmm. And we're coming towards the back end, but if you were 24, what do you wish you knew? 24, wow. It's not that long ago. No. I don't know. <laughs> what do I wish I knew? Yeah, don't know. from all these experiences. I don't know. It'll be, I don't know, it'll... I don't say it's... Because I just remember when you were at the 2010 World Cup and you were going through so much and you said you were... Pretty much, pretty wet but behind the ears. Mm. What sort of experience? You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out just with who you are. You'll figure it out along the way. You won't do it on your own, but you'll figure it out. You'll figure out what needs to happen next, wow. where the path needs to take you, what you need to be doing, how you need to be doing it. And yeah, you'll you, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out yeah. at 24 to allow you to get to that point where you got to and and, and continue to to move forward. Well, we've just gone past Stepney Green and we're on the final stretch. This has been. We've just touched down at Millay Road and it's been an incredible journey you sharing with me today. Thanks so much, Millay. That's all right. No problem. My pleasure. I'm happy to happy to do it. It's been incredible. No worries. Hope we can speak again. Let's see. <laughs> Thanks so much, Milo. No worries. No worries. Appreciate it.